Summer's almost here. Yay, right? So, when's the last time you tried on your swimsuits and summer clothes? If you could get back into summer shape in one visit, would you do it? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone, permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonobello locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. My guest this hour is Dr. Lanny Leary. She is the author of No One Has to Die Alone. Now, Dr. Leary has over 25 years of experience as a psychotherapist working with chronically ill, dying, and bereaved clients. She served as the Director of Mental Health Services at Whitman Waker, I'm sorry, Whitman Walker AIDS Clinic as a professor of death studies at George Mason University 
and as a researcher at the National Cancer Institute of NIH. Dr. O'Leary also garners wisdom from her personal experience, her mother's death when she was a child, her father's death from cancer, her own profound near-death experience, and has sat with over 500 people as they died. Joining me now is Dr. Leary, and uh, Dr. Lani Leary, welcome to the Exome. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. Um, no One Has to Die Alone. Tell me about that title. Well, I'm, I'm trying to, I hope to change the myths and the frame of dying mm-hmm. so that no one does have to die alone. Of course, there are people that do die alone, but there are so many people in our culture move away from the dying, and this is our last greatest opportunity for the level of intimacy and connection and service that we can provide to during the time when we are all so vulnerable. Um, and I, I want to teach people, coach people, to move toward this opportunity um, and to not be afraid of it because it changes the experience for the dying person, but it also significantly changes the grief of the family members and survivors after the death. Why is it so important for people to talk about end-of-life issues, Doctor? Because we are all going to die, and we have so much more power and choices than we are using. Um, Do you know that 90% of us and 90% of our loved ones will die from an age-related or uh, an illness, uh, an age-related death or an illness, and that means that we have time to prepare We have time to make choices. Mm -hmm. We have time to communicate our values and our wishes to our family, our physicians, our loved ones, those people who will care for us, so that we can live with our values and the ways that we choose right up to our last breath. But when we abdicate those choices and we ask our family members to choose or to guess for us what kind of care we want, what level of care, where we want to be as we're dying, we lose uh, the voice in our own life. We no longer are the author of our life. And if we talk about um, dying before it happens, 90% of us will be able to die differently. Only 10% of the population die suddenly and unexpectedly. Wow. That's really important. Yes, that's really important to know. So the truth is is that, you know, um, Rob, your mother or father is going to die. Mm-hmm. And, and I wrote this book because most people come to me and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to step outside of myself and get a hold of my fears and my guilt and all those overwhelming emotions. I want to help but I don't know how. And so because I was, um, well, because I spent my life learning um, from the dying what they thought was important, I just, um, I feel so strongly that it's it's time that I pass pass on their legacy. Doctor, you and I have to take a commercial break. Please stand by. Exonation Dr. Lanny Leary is our special guest, and that's uh, www.drlanilearry.com. And she is the author of No One Has to Die Alone. More with Dr. Lanny Leary on the other side of this commercial break in two minutes as the Exon returns from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
And welcome back, everyone. Uh, Dr. Lonnie Leary is my special guest of this hour. She's the author of No One Has to Die Alone. Her website is www.drlanileary.com. Doctor, I, I, I'd like to, to, to throw a question to you. Maybe you can help answer this. Why are the United States and Canada such a death-avoidant culture? Oh, well, you know, we have been such a youth-oriented culture for mm-hmm. so long that the opposite of that, old age uh, and declining, is terrifying to us. And so it's our, it's our assumptions, our myths about old age, illness, and dying that really get in our way of compassionate care and connection. Um, we, we make assumptions uh, and one of the one of the myths of dying is that dying is a failure. Don't haven't we all heard someone say, "Well, you know, he just didn't pray hard enough, or he didn't really do his chemotherapy the way he was supposed to." So now, on top of dying, we're placing the burden of of it's their fault. So one of the myths of dying and old age is. Uh, that it's failure. Another myth is it's, it is abandonment. And so if we don't work through our grief, mm-hmm. especially children, come to a place of understanding that mommy left me rather than her body gave out and died, um, we need to clear up those, um, those myths and assumptions. Um, or death is a punishment. Um, I didn't do life right, yeah. and so this is my punishment. Instead of the truth, which is death is going to happen to all of us. Death is universal. Death is often unpredictable. Um, and th- another myth of death is that death is the end of a relationship. Not so. How, what do you mean death is not the end of a relationship? If somebody is dies today, they're not with us tomorrow. So how can this relationship live on past death? Oh, the relationship can live on. My father died. I, I was with him when he died, and that was the greatest privilege of my life. I was his daughter when he was alive. Right. The truth is, is that I am still his daughter. Gotcha. Da- daughter is a verb to me rather mm-hmm. than a noun. I daughter my father now by continuing to care for the relationships that he cared about, to support the organizations or charities that he valued. Mm-hmm to bring his name back into the world and to live as the daughter that he cherished. 
Um, so I am in relationship with him, and I talk to him every day, because the truth is is that I knew him so well for all those years mm-hmm. that I can throw out a question to my father, and I know how he would answer. But the other thing, Rob, is that millions and millions of people, including myself, have had a near-death experience and returned with the very, very similar experience of being met by deceased loved ones on the other side yes. and of continuing that relationship of knowing that their loved one never went anywhere that they were always with them and that is so hopeful and important to be able to share with people as they're dying and as they're grieving because it means that we can reframe you know that myth that we thought that we believed which caused us so much suffering that we are no longer connected that's not true. What is it the dying need most, in your opinion, Doctor? Yes. That's a great question, an important question. Um, and it's, it's actually very simple. Um, the dying have told me consistently and repeatedly that um, I would say the top three things that they need that would make a difference, that we can all participate in, is the first, one, the first thing is that they need to be listened to. And I mean deep listening. So often people go into a hospital room with an agenda Mm -hmm. that they're going to fix this person who is ill or dying. Um, No, they need your, your, your quiet presence. They need you to listen to their stories, and even the same stories 100 times, instead of telling them, oh, you already told me that. But to listen to their stories that they are trying to organize and understand um, to come to some uh, sense of peace about what their life meant to them and what legacy they might um, pass on. So we need to listen deeply, quietly, without our agenda. It means we need to not analyze them or interpret or compare them to others or judge them for where they are. You know, but just li- listen deeply. I, I believe um, we can apply the listen deeply to people who may not yet be in a hospital or or a, or a hospice, but people who are getting on in years who want yeah. to be heard. And, you know, you said something Absolutely. very important. Oh, it's so important, and they have so much to share, yes. so much life experience and wisdom. Mm-hmm. And if we would just um, approach them with yeah. that openness of, uh, what can I learn from you, you know? Um, it, it validates the um, that older person um, it gives them, um, it reflects back to them this place that they have in life. So the, we, we need to listen deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the second thing uh, that we need to do, uh, that they're asking for, is touch. Because so often um, those who are ill or declining feel as though they are ugly. Oh. You're ugly, dirty, this, these are words that they've used with me, decaying and unacceptable. And our touch, again, silent touch, confirms for them, you are in the world to me. I see you, I value you, I love you as I always have. Um, And the touch is so soothing. You know, I mean, studies, Mm -hmm. we know through studies that they release endorphins, those natural narcotics that help our body to relax. And um, people at the end of life, um, well, I'll tell you, I was working with, one older man recently, and I walked in, and he said, 
um, you know, would you sit with me? Um, and I sat with him and I asked him, may I, may I hold your hand? Uh, we need to give the dying um, back their sense of control, and we need to let them give us permission to enter the room, to mm-hmm. touch them and things like that. But they so crave touch, so um, I asked, may I hold your hand? And he said, this is the first time in days that I have been touched without a gloved hand or by a stethoscope or a needle. This is the first human contact I've had. And you could see it in his eyes that he was so hungry for that, you know, to be reminded that he was human. So we need to touch. And there are so many ways that we can touch. We can teach our our young children to participate in the dying process by having them come into the room and, here, you know, put Mm -hmm. put lotion on Grandma's hands or um, would you brush his hair? Um, Would you just stroke lightly? So touch is very important. And the last, not the last thing, but the third most important thing that the dying have repeatedly told me is that they need to hear from their loved ones, from their caregivers, that uh, they have permission to let go. And again, that is because so often we have the myth of, well, if I leave, they'll think, if I die, they'll think I've abandoned them. I don't want them to think I failed. I don't want them to think that um, I don't love them. So we as family and caregivers need to use those words, um, uh, Dad, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to remember you. I love you. It's okay to go. Dad, Mom, it's okay to to go on, mm-hmm. go in peace. But they need to hear that. When was it, Doctor, that we took the dignity away from a person at, at their time, their final time with us? And why are, why are so many people mm-hmm. so, so spiteful that they don't want to let this person go because of their yeah. own needs? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure it's always spite, but it is, it is Selfishness? Their, their need. Yeah, their need to hold on mm-hmm. because of their belief that they're not going to be okay. And, and that's, I have a chapter in my book, No One Has to Die Alone, called I Can Cope, because I believe that um, I help a lot of people through the coaching process mm-hmm. um, in therapy to learn, to find the evidence in their life of all the ways and times that they have coped. Because, here's an example, um, Working with a family, and the, um, the parent has been diagnosed with end-stage cancer. And one, child, one adult child says, well, I'm going to get in there and do everything that mom wants to make her experience as good as it can be. And the other adult child says, mm-hmm. well, there's nothing I can do. I can't handle this, so you take over. Those two um, adult children have different experiences of their own ability to cope. One says to themselves, I can feel my pain, I can feel my grief, and together, mom and I will work through this. But the other adult child is saying, I, I, I'm going to be overwhelmed by this feeling of helplessness. But you see, if we do participate, that's, what we, we are, that's the last thing we are, yeah. which is helpless. Yeah. So my message really for all of us who are aging, dying, or caregiving is we are not helpless, we are not hopeless, and we are not useless. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you, Doctor, 
And I, I'm saying to myself, you know, not only does what the doctor is saying apply to a person who is is at their end, but this also applies to people who are nearing their end, people yeah. in their later years. And mm-hmm. and and you know what? I I love the the way that you that you look at death. It's yeah, I've been talking to so many people over 20 years doing this this show who have had near-death experiences and experiences from the other side. The most profound example I was given was, you know, Rob, just imagine a wall miles and miles and miles long filled mm-hmm. with books. Mm-hmm. Each one of those books has a chapter, and each one of those chapters is a lifetime. Doctor, stand by. We've got to take a commercial break. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Dr. Lonnie Leary is my guest. She's the author of No One Has to Die Alone. A great lady. We'll be back on the other side. Don't go away. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, one month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. You can't get much for five bucks these days, unless you go to Wendy's for a $5 biggie bag. Get your choice of double stack, junior bacon cheeseburger, or crispy chicken BLT, plus four-piece nugs, fries, and a drink, all for just five bucks. That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're going to feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price of participation may vary. Includes four-piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii. This is Sarah's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. Driving cross-country with two young children is ambitious, to say the least. Then our check engine light came on. We pulled into O'Reilly Auto Parts and they tested it. Turned out it was a faulty sensor. They referred us to a great mechanic just down the street and we were back on the road in no time. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. On MSN Messenger, Exxon Radio TV, and Hotmail.com, and our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days 
looking at the x-rays talking about the options and talking about sweet time I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end how's it hit you when you get that kind of news man what you do and he said I went skydiving I went Rocky Mountain climbing I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Blue Mansion and I looked deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I've been denying and he said someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying Exo Nation, welcome back uh, this is uh, a very interesting, very heart-touching a very important hour we're having here with Dr. Lonnie Leary. She's the author of No One Has to Die Alone. Her website is www.drlanilearry.com. Um, and, and you know, Doctor, you and I were talking uh, during the news break. I, 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 if you, I'd like to relate a story to you because I, I know you'll understand. As many... Listeners know, in fact, everyone who listens to the show knows, I used to be a police officer. And I remember one time I was doing radar in a school zone. And I stopped a car for speeding. I wrote the ticket and I went back to the uh, to the vehicle. And the, and the gentleman was so nice, they had just returned from their honeymoon. He said, officer, this is why we've moved into this community because of, of you know, the 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 peace the harmony and you know he said i i was wrong so i accept the ticket and i thank you for being a gentleman so i figured wow. oh man exactly as the car left what we what procedure was is where you turned over the the uh the station uh copy of the ticket and you wrote down the notes just in case the person went to court and pleaded not guilty you had your notes on on the back of the ticket I looked up and I saw this car coming, and this is a couple of minutes. I saw this car coming, flashing their lights on and off, on and off, honking their horn. And she pulled up beside the police car. She said, Officer, you better get down there. There's been a bad accident, and I'm sure somebody's been killed. Mm. Now, the only car that passed me going that direction was the car that I had stopped a few minutes ago. Yeah. I get up to the intersection. Their vehicle was brought was a hit broadside. Mm. The driver had expired. His wife, in a bad shape. Uh-huh. Called it in, got back up, got the ambulance, fire had to extricate the bodies out of the vehicle. Get back to the station, and the chief says, well, what are you doing here? You should be out on the road. Oh, my gosh. He says, get get back on your horse. Oh, boy, yeah. Stiff up their, stiff up their lip. Hey, Don't feel anything. Well, uh-huh. Don't feel anything. If I wouldn't have stopped that guy, he might still be alive. Oh. And the chief said, well, if you didn't stop him, he may have been dead. Mm. You know, so, I, you know, not only are there health care workers who need help, not only are there the members of the family who need help, not only are those who are passing who need help, but the people, right. the first responders, police, right. rescue, fire, who deal Absolutely. with this on a daily basis. Absolutely. And just because you are professionals doesn't mean that you don't feel it as deeply. That's right. And carry it around with you for the rest of your life. So, yes, absolutely. Professionals, mm-hmm. first responders, all of us need help. 
They, we need just the support and yeah. the companionship of someone with us, helping us to find meaning in it. Can you just imagine the first responders who responded oh. to the Twin Towers, yeah. 9-11, and the Pentagon? Yes, My I can. God I, yes, bless I, them. Yes, I was there. Yeah. Tell, yeah, tell me, Doctor. Yeah. We we talked about we talked about patients, and you know, you know, thank you for for hearing me out on this this issue that I had. But how do we how do we help a patient who is in denial or who does not believe they are oh, dying? That, that's that is such an important important question, and I, I address that in the book too. Mm-hmm. You know, denial has taken on a bad word. Yeah. It, it, it's a bad connotation. Nobody should be in denial. Mm-hmm. I disagree. Denial is a coping strategy, and the truth is is that most of us go in and out of denial all the time. Yes. But, but when, when we are... Uh, I'll give you an example. A young mother um, receives a diagnosis of terminal uh terminal illness mm-hmm. and has been told she probably has four weeks to live. She goes into what you call denial or what most people would call denial. And her family members around her, her best friends, are saying, you've got to get out of denial. You've got to get out mm-hmm. of denial. This isn't healthy. Well, she is in denial. What she's done with the diagnosis is she's compartmentalized it because of her values. And her value says that her little four-year-old needs to be taken care of first, Exactly. that she's not going to be able to attend to her own needs until she knows that that four-year-old has, uh, that she set up uh, uh, child care for it, uh, for the, you know, all of that. So that's an example of denial that's very functional. But I don't ever take away denial from, a, some, from someone because um, we, don't, we don't fully understand it. And it's their pacing, you know, and all of us deserve the respect for our own unique ways that we cope and grieve and the timing. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, your example of being told to get right back on the horse and right back into your job, that was a disrespect for your uh, pacing and timing of um, your reactions. Uh, I I felt totally uh, in, in left field. Yeah, right. You know, like, don't don't you care about what just happened? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, you do what you're told. Right. Right. Now, now, so can we say, doctor, that coping is a, uh, or denial is a, a mechanism of coping? It is. Yes, it is a mechanism of coping. Um, and there are so many different uh, levels of denial, mm-hmm. so that um, there's a, a closed awareness is a technical term for one um, level of denial, and I'll give you a, I'll give you a story recently that I just worked with, um, going into an elderly person's home, and her adult daughter said, you know, I don't know what to say to mom because she keeps asking me if she's going if she's dying. She's 97 years old, and she has many many different diagnoses, um, different illnesses, and so the the daughter saying, I, I don't know, I. Well, I said, what do you say to your mom when she says that? She says, oh, I don't say anything. I, I, you know, I don't think she really wants to talk about dying. Well, <laughs> listen to what she's asking. And as I sat with this older woman um, and listened, what I found out was that she was wanting to know if the daughter knew that she was dying because she knew she was dying. 
And so the daughter's trying to take care of the mother, mm-hmm. and the mother's trying to take care of the daughter, and nobody's really talking about that elephant in the room, which is what's really going on. And so they lose the opportunity for that connection and that intimacy and really talking about what, what's in their hearts, you know, because they're trying to protect each other. What a shame. It certainly is. Yeah. You know, so I, I coached them both um, about how to use different language to really talk about mm-hmm. what was real for them, what was really going on, and how not to be afraid of it. And it worked. Is there a story, Doctor, that best illustrates the work, your work with a dying person? Oh, my goodness. You know, I've been so privileged to be yeah. with so many people um, at the end. Um, I guess, well... I, I, I guess I would, I would talk about the story with my father, because I, I wrote this book, um, because when I was 13 years old, my mother died, and I did not know how to help. And because I did not know what else to do, I took my younger brothers away from home so that my mother could sleep. And it was all I knew how to do. And when I came home that later on that day, my mother was gone. And what do you think it would be like if you never got to say goodbye to your mother? I I don't know how I could cope. Yes. And so I lived for years and years believing that my mother had died alone and that um, she believed that I had abandoned her. And so I carried years of guilt and grief and regret. And I wrote this book because I don't want anyone else to ever feel that way. And to go through what I went through. So I spent the next, you know, umpty-ump years going to school and and working in hospices all across the country so that I could learn what I needed to so that my uh, other loved ones would not have the same experience and I would not feel the same way with them. So a couple of years ago, I held my father in my arms as he died. He had end-stage lung cancer. And um, I flew home, I dropped, I canceled my university classes, I closed my psychotherapy practice, and I went home to uh, take care of him. And um, we did everything together every day that we had. We talked about everything. I asked him if we could write his obituary together. Uh, We reviewed his life in scrapbooks. I asked him very direct questions. Who do you want to be with you when you're dying? Who do you not want in the room? Where do you want, um, you know, cremation or where do you want your ashes? Mm-hmm. I, there wasn't anything we didn't talk about. And on the last morning that I didn't know was going to be his last morning, he pulled the oxygen tube out of his nose and said, no more. And he told me to turn off the oxygen machine, and I did because he had the right to have control over his death as he had control over his life. And I knew what he wanted and what he valued because we had talked about it. And so I was there to support his choices and protect his wishes. And I turned off the oxygen machine. He had already taken the tube out of his um, nose. Mm -hmm. I got up onto the bed. I held him. I cradled him in my arms. I told him that I loved him, uh, that I was there with him, and I would be there right up to the end, and that I would be okay, and that it was okay for him to let go. He closed his eyes. His breathing became very shallow and slow. And for about 40 minutes, 
I just stroked him gently and sang a favorite um, song to him. And after about 30 minutes, he opened his eyes wide, just wide. He looked up into the corner of the room, and he said my mother's name. And I said, well, of course she's here, Dad. Where else would she be? And he took his last breath, and he died in my arms. And that was the greatest gift that he gave me, and it was the gift that I gave him, that he did not die alone, and he gave me the gift of no regrets. In your so that's why I do this work. God bless you for it. Oh, it's, it's my gift. Yeah. At, at the time of passing, Doctor, does it... Do you know, based on your experience and, and the love you have for those who are fortunate enough to be in your life with you as a patient or as a member of the family, that at the time of passing, there are others who have already passed on there waiting to bring them across? I do know that. And that was what my father was telling me in that last moment, that my mother, who had died, gosh, uh, 45 years before, um, um, that my mother had come for him. And when I died, that was my experience also of entering a tunnel and being met by my mother, um, who was, this is another important um, thing to share, is that the, uh, the, do- the dead are healed and whole and um, uh, vibrant. So um, not only not only is, is death a transition and another beginning, but it is a healing. Um, but I've heard that I've been, I've been with so many people who, as they were dying, had that same experience of uh, looking at the foot of the bed and, and saying a loved one's name who had predeceased them. And, uh, I mean, over and over and over again right. this has happened. So this is not uncommon. And as caregivers, we want to validate that because can you imagine um, what a different experience it is, and I've seen this, uh, for someone to be patting their shoulder and saying, oh, dear, no one's here, it's just the narcotic, oh. you know, or um, as opposed to, uh, you know, my response, which yes. was, well, of course, of course, because you just hear this big sigh of, ah, oh, everything's yeah. okay. That's what, that's what I want to give people in this, going through this experience is, it's okay. So, so it okay. seems, doctor, that life, during life you're a caterpillar, as you're getting to make that transition to the other side, you're in the cocoon yeah. stage. And when yeah. you finally do pass, you're the butterfly. Yes. Yeah. And, and actually, this side of life is, is, uh, is much more like that ugly caterpillar. That's what I meant, yeah. Yeah, much denser, heavier um, life. And it's just, that, you know, it's just that we can't see beyond the horizon. But when a boat sails off into the horizon... It's not gone. You just can't see it. Doctor, stand by. We've got to take our final break. Exonation, Dr. Lonnie Leary is my guest this hour. She's the author of No One Has to Die Alone. www.drlanilary.com Once again, Dr. Lonnie Leary is the author of No One Has to Die Alone. I'll be back with a good doctor on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Asked him when it sank in this might really be the
Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Lonnie Leary is our special guest to this hour. She's the author of No One Has to Die Alone. Her website is www.drlanilearry.com. Uh, doctor, first of all, thank you very much for joining us. And, you know, as I said to you between the breaks, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. And I hope that everyone listening takes the opportunity of going to your website and buying your book because I certainly believe that this is a tool for living. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, a hopeful tool. Yes. yes, but when it comes to death, dying, there's always the child factor. Yeah, yes, there there are children um, mm-hmm. part of our community, uh, and so often we leave them in the corner and uh, we think that we are protecting them by not yeah. giving them information. Uh, and that's um, one of the most, uh, that's one of the least helpful things that we can do for them. Children are little sponges, yes, and they, they have radar, and they can sense when there's distress in the family. Um, and uh, depending on a child's age, um, but children are so egocentric, mm-hmm. you know, by nature, and they're supposed to be, that they interpret everything uh, as revolving around them and as their fault. Um, so if we don't explain illness or uh, death to them, um, in the void, children go to the interpretation that, well, mommy died because I didn't pick up my toys, or um, um, uh, as in my case, and I was, I thought, a pretty bright 13-year-old, um, well, um, because I wasn't there, my mother believed that I didn't love her and felt abandoned, you know. So we make it all about us and our fault. Um, it's one of the ways we try to regain some sense of control, but it's very, very painful. So adults need to step in and check a child's understanding. Ask children, what are you, what are you thinking about this? What do you feel yeah. about this? And keep, um, keep on top of it. Um, uh, we can teach children how to participate in ways so that they are less fearful and they really raise their level of, um, of understanding of the process, and that when Grandma dies, they know, I helped Grandma. I made a difference. Grandma knew I was there. Grandma knew I loved her. And so even at that at a young stage, I did everything I could, you see? Makes a difference. Sure does. You're making a difference. Thank you. Doctor, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you. Please give us your website and also tell our listeners where they can buy a copy of your book. Okay. Um, yes, my website is www.drlanilearry.com, Dr. Lonnie Leary. Um, I also write a, bro- a blog on Psychology Today as one of their um, experts, and that column is called No One Has to Be Alone. And I talk about bereavement and uh, illness and dying in that. I also write a uh, bereavement column for the um, site HealingTheSpirit.org, which is an organ procurement agency. Um, And you can buy my book, No One Has to Die Alone, uh, at any major bookstore uh, and on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, um, and I hope uh, independent local bookstores. Doctor, thank you very much for joining us. I look forward to the next time when you visit us again here in the Exxon. Thank you very much for your time, ma'am. Thank you. Exxon Nation, once again, Dr. Lonnie Leary has been my guest. She is the author of No One Has to Die Alone. And one more time, 
www.drlanilearry.com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon. We'll be back. Don't go away. <laughs>